Hi and welcome to a late night edition of the State of the Night podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Semple. And we are recording this at 8 past 8 in the evening, which is, you know, I'm usually at sleep. I was going to say it's almost past our bedtime, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, just to, to make clear that we're not, not ignoring this, Today is the day before of the big announcement coming from Apple, so we have nothing to say about that because we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> because That's everybody else be... is speculating about yeah, it. Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a, uh, we're sure it's going to be amazing, but we have no idea what's going to happen. Although, given given the topics we are going to talk about, if it, well, I'm going to leap ahead for a little bit here because if it's all about the watch tomorrow. Um, or mostly about the watch. It's interesting how my repositioning and rejigging of technologies, which we're going to talk about in a moment, I, I'm more excited about the watch than I am about almost any other Apple device these days, and and more and more inclined to to be all in on the watch. You know, I'm thinking about getting an LTE the next yeah, time. You just, you just you have a, the last version of the watch. I know, I know. I didn't I didn't say I was doing it this time, Paolo. I didn't say. But that's my inclination. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kind of interested to see if they release a new uh, iPad. Uh, they're supposed to do an iPad Air with a with a you know edge to edge screen. Um, and you know my wife is market for a new iPad. I think that could be interesting. Well, it's funny. I mean, my iPad is uh, maybe second or third generation Pro. Uh, the the whatever size it is, ten inches one. Um, I have no reason to change it, and I was saying to my wife, I mean, I've got, I'm not going to change my phone either, despite being on the upgrade program. I, I, you know, no reason to, and have no reason to upgrade my iPad. And you can see why this becomes a bit of an issue for Apple because they make tools that just last, and you know, there's obviously an incremental shift in what the things are capable of, but but none of it so far, as I say, apart from the watch, has got me that animated. Yeah, and no, I'm totally waiting for it. My MacBook is, uh, I have a the MacBook, uh, which at this point is, I don't know, four years old. And it's, I mean, it was small when it came out. I, I love it because it's so light, but it's really struggling to do this. Oh, it's the MacBook adorable, isn't it? Yes, yeah, the little one. Yeah, so, but of course now I'm waiting for the new Apple Silicon. So who knows what, when, uh, they, rumors are that it's going to be a, you know, 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'm definitely waiting for that one. My my younger daughter, Hannah, just went off to college on Saturday and she bought a rose gold MacBook Air 13-inch. And uh, it is lovely. The one with the um, touch ID on it as well. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a very nice little device. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're, they're very nice, though. They're very well made. Yeah. yeah. So... I think that the big change since the last episode, aside for late night recording, is that I'm back in London. And uh, I went to the office on Friday with uh, a couple of colleagues. And uh, I th it was good. I mean, I, I must say that, uh, I mean, the, I, I wrote this in a, in a blog post, but... Uh, I think that uh, to me it felt a little bit like when I can use Italian of, instead of English for conversations. I mean, I 
don't have a problem using English, but it feels much more natural if I can do this in Italian. I mean, sitting in the same room with guys and, you know, chatting, ch you know, chatting about things and uh, sketching things on a wall, um, it just, uh, it just takes away a lot of artificial tension and, you know, attention that you have to give. And uh, even if we have amazing collaboration tools, it's, uh, it, it feels like it required less effort to obtain the same amount of communication. So as much as, you know, I'm, I'm, we're continuing to work, working from home, I mean, probably we're going to have another day in the office this week, but probably not much more than that. It's um, having some regular old style office time actually made me realize that I'm missing it. It's uh, it it works it works better, especially working with younger colleagues, where you know you you just have a chance of if you want repeating things or understanding things better or you know having to cross language barriers it's uh, being in person is actually useful it's interesting because i'm involved in a sort of startup business at the moment that is focused around property and what happens to property post covid and all those sorts of issues and the guy who's running it's calling it sort of omni-channel working which is an interesting way of describing it and you know, as you were describing your situation, I was thinking that the, 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 the optimum thing would be to have the right mix, wouldn't it? And because there's lots of downsides about being in an office and in some ways sitting in an office trying to look busy is, is really unproductive, you know, and, and there's too much time spent having meetings that aren't necessary, all, all the downsides. But if you could just somehow teleport into an office... <laughs> Or, you know, you're lucky you're quite close to the office, but if you just had the, used the office for when you did the sorts of things you've just described, but didn't feel the need to sit there from nine to five. Um, and I think a lot of the cleverness of the future is going to be about managing those transitions better so that we make the best of the different tools. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not sure that this is just a matter of where you are. I mean, I think there is plenty of situations where you're just stuck on Zoom calls nine to five. So it's it does it does it matter? Does it make a difference? I mean, to be honest, the fact that uh, between Zoom calls I can walk to a colleague and have a quick chat—something that I would never do on Zoom. I mean, I, between Zoom calls, yeah. I don't want to have other Zoom calls. Um, but if you can just you know take a break, have a coffee, have a chat, you know. Look, look at something it i do think that it does create opportunities i'm not saying that everybody should go back to the office nine to five five days a week i'm i'm i, I like not going to the office i don't have any problem working from home and working remotely um i think that this does give the opportunity of coming up with new and better ways to work yeah because you know it is forcing us to do stuff that otherwise we wouldn't do yeah but uh, a little bit of face-to-face -face time yeah. is actually nice and it is useful. And I think that, um, you know, the more you work in diverse environments where 
you know, perhaps you need a little bit more communication, a little bit more effort, uh, the more being in, in, in person helps. I mean, you know, if it's the situation between two, you know, skilled professionals who just need to exchange a few words to deliver something, to ask for something, you know, you can do that online. It doesn't really matter. Uh, if you are in a situation where you have a mix of uh, senior and junior people and, you know, somebody maybe on their first job and learning, you know, being able to have a little bit more conversation and a little bit more proximity uh, is, uh, I think, is helpful. And, you know, very often this is the case with startups where, you know, you can't afford to buy the professionals who can just exchange three words and understand everything. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I hope that companies will not suffer by trying to do too much remote working. It's, it's the same old thing of making the right use of the right tools, and by tools I, I'll in, I include offices, um, for the right job, isn't it? And, and, and that's about being aware of productivity and what's working and what's not. And, um, you know, I think that's something generally we need to think more about with all the tools that we use. Um, in fact, you, you were just commenting on the fact that I'd, I'd done a, po a post on my blog about going back to trying a bullet journal. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a guy called Ryder Carroll came up with this pen and paper notebook based system for recording thoughts and ideas, but also tracking actions and habits and all sorts of other things. And it became a big thing a few years ago, and I tried it a few years ago. And then it sort of turned into all sorts of elaborate, designed, arty sort of examples of the bullet journal and, and in some ways strayed from its original purpose. But I've gone back to trying it again because I'm aware that, you know, I love productivity tools and I love trying new ones and learning them and have had a lot of benefit from them over the years. But I'm also aware that my life is distributed across multiple different tools and the bits don't always join up. Uh, it can feel quite fragmented sometimes with, with my journaling in one app and my to-dos to -dos in another app, whatever. And I'm actually quite enjoying this only two or three days in, but I'm enjoying having it all in one physical book. Um, where I, and it's a bit like you were saying about the, the office. I mean, it's almost like the friction of having to turn backwards and forwards a couple of pages just to recheck things or migrating things from one part of the book to another and writing them out again. And he makes the point in his own book about the process that it just makes you stop and slow down and think. Whereas bashing away on your keyboard, doing keyboard commands like we all learn to do is not always giving you that space. Um, and so to, uh, to taking it even further, I've, for the first time in my life, bought a Kindle. Um, and, you know, I've used the Kindle app on my phone and my iPad forever. But I'm sort of aware that I don't finish enough of the books that I buy. And I think that's partly just because the devices seduce me into either buying new ones or going off and doing something else. And so having, you know, in a sense, an electronic equivalent of a, of a real book, and I, st I still buy real books, but I want to be able to carry this thing with me. Um, so I guess long way of saying it's me just thinking, okay, are the tools I'm using helping me or, or are they making things worse and trying something different? Speaking of distractions, I, 
I watched a movie yesterday on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I think came out quite recently, and it's a kind of a big documentary um, where there are interviews with uh, former managers of you know old big companies, and uh, and some and a fictional story of a family with kids uh, interacting with social media, and in particular there is this one kid who is using something is not called Facebook, but you know we can imagine it's something like Facebook, where you showed the other where, where they showed the other side um, with the AI. Con- trying to send him messaging trying to get, to pull him back into the mm-hmm. into the application and then sell an ad uh, on an auction of uh, an ad for his attention and uh, I, I think it's pretty well made in the sense that this is the type of show where you know, I, I started watching it and I thought, okay, probably this is going to try to convince me of something. I will probably feel convinced about it, uh, but then I will think harder and realize that it's all wrong. Uh, I haven't been able to figure out how it's all wrong yet, uh, in the sense that, um, I mean, the way they describe it, and and, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting because... the. You have these people that say, you know, we didn't mean to do this when we started. But on the other hand, we have created a system that is specifically optimized to try to capture people's attention. And most probably, this is not a healthy thing. Most probably, the way we're using, especially because uh, this is managed by companies that need to maximize profit for their shareholders, um, it's a recipe for disaster. And, uh, you know, they argue some of the stuff that we have been discussing here for, you know, this is the 30th episode, so for the last 29 episodes, um, around uh, the, the consequences of social media. And even when these were not part of the design, they, they still happened. And, uh, you know, I, I've noticed you have been sort of stepping away from. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. I mean, I and it wasn't a big, you know, I get, right from back in the early days of blogging, you got so tired of people announcing that they were giving up blogging and then being back six months later. But so I haven't said I'm not using Facebook anymore, but I think I called the post drifting away. And it was partly around my mum's illness and, and eventual death that I was just focused on other things and it became more claustrophobic I think is the right word somebody else used that word about it which sounds antisocial um, and I sort of I'm not quite sure where I feel about the fact that I'm by pulling back from using Facebook I'm losing contact with an awful lot of friends um, but it feels better <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm not not going in there. I'll go in there once in a while, and likewise Twitter. I'll go in there once in a while, but I'm not checking it as much as I used to. And again, it's not that I'm falling prey to this thing that this evil empire's been doing things to me against my will. It's not that. It's just me recalibrating, if you like. And it's it's been nice to be more focused on my blog and to see my blog as my blog rather than somewhere where I copy and paste stuff into other platforms. And likewise. You know, bizarrely, I, I resurrected my Flickr account the other day there. 
and I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying because because I, I I was missing the ability to share moments with people because as I've banged on about for years, it makes you notice more if you've got somewhere to share stuff. So you take more pictures or you notice more interesting events that you could write about. And I was sort of missing having a reason to take photographs. Um, and Flickr's interesting because it's given me that back and I pay for the pro account so I don't have any ads. And that was what was really beginning to piss me off about Instagram, the fact that they're deliberately making it hard for me to tell what's a friend's post and what's an ad for a Land Rover, you know. Um, so the consequence of... I, I'm not missing it, you know. Like I said, I haven't gone off in the half, but I'm, I'm not rushing back either. Something that I was wondering is, I mean... Once I read your post, I went back to Flickr and, you know, I think I cancelled my pro account probably a year ago or I mean, yeah, it was about the same. Yeah. Not too long ago. I mean, I just kept hoping and paying. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't really using it. Um, so anyway, I, I fired it back up. I figured out what my password was and uh, and I realized that uh, I don't have, I mean, of all the people I was following, probably there is two or three still alive uh, and then a bunch of, uh, and then a bunch of uh, institutions. And the funny thing is that, you know, I was following the White House and 10 Downing Street, but probably when I, definitely when I started following, there was other people at the White House and 10 Downing Street. So suddenly I have all these photos of Trump and, and, Boris and it was like um, and then I was thinking why don't we just post photos on our blogs well that's true and I've been thinking about moving back to that as well which is what we all did at the start Um, yeah no and and it's that sort of rich tapestry if you like of a a blog that I'm kind of moving back to and just just making a crafting a blog you know thinking it's my representation on the web and owning it and yeah no it's interesting i mean it's yeah i mean i'm not sure about the the how it could work i mean how easy it is to post a photo on uh, uh, you know straight to your blog from from your phone but i'm pretty sure there are tools that allow you to do that and uh, you know provided that i can upload full resolution photos they go on my server and uh, you know, I I can put them in a specific channels. I mean, I can probably figure out how to to manage that process. Thing is, the people who read my blog is a is a, is a very select group. <laughs> you know, that's... you think you think that if if they see a photo, they might freak out. No, I think that nobody would see it, um, or at least not very many people. And and that that that's another thing that I, I'm not sure. If, they're still running common line computers. They they can't they, they can't render photos. <laughs> That's right. But I, oh, it's funny watching people trying really hard to get images incorporated into drafts, and the whole point of drafts is that it doesn't do images. But anyway, um, yeah, that that thing about the n- lack of numbers on my blog and al- almost finding that a benefit, not a downside. Because part of what was claustrophobic about Facebook was not worrying about what other people thought, but being aware of what other people thought. And I think I wrote somewhere that one of the things about mum passing away has just been to think, well, you know, to be reminded that this is finite and you only get one shot 
and spending too much of it worrying about what other people think is a waste of it, really. There is a somebody in this Netflix movie who says that um, all these social media sites are basically these huge supercomputers and AIs aiming at your simple human brain and you know how they how they will always win because uh, they are designed to grab your attention and to draw you back and to try to keep you engaged what what is interesting is that they're basically saying what is happening on social media sites is not real it's always somehow argumented by um by some kind of algorithm so you know people that react to what you post is not all your friends and not all the people you know actually no. only a tiny number of people that you're connected to on facebook will see your post and will probably react to it that's exactly that that's what was that's what was bugging me yeah and uh and uh, you know of and this is something completely outside of your control you, you don't know who they are it is most likely that these are the most likely people to react to your post yes um but maybe this might very well be the people who might most likely be upset by your post uh hence a reason to you know push them toward your post because uh, you know being upset and being offended is uh, um, a, a very good you know reason to go back and to kind of ask for more so you know the the way these algorithms are distorting reality in a way that we don't really understand is uh is tricky and and, and on the other hand you know the hopeful note at the end of the movie is uh the fact that they say there is no reason why we couldn't use all the things that we have learned about changing people's behavior for the good yeah totally we can help people using uh using this and it's actually you know one of the companies i work with uh tomo um, specializing in you know creating an app to support people suffering uh, from depression and you know what we do there all the time is to change people's habit but for the good we're you now trying to establish healthy habits we you know use a technique called behavior activation um, so it's uh, it's interesting how you know, we we start learning to live with this technology, and we need to learn to live with these algorithms, and uh, we can't just run away from them because no. they're going to be there. We just need to learn to to work with them instead of against them. And uh, yeah, it, rem it reminds me a little bit that you know this new car that that we got it has all kind of clever things and speed control and uh, lane and uh, you know it 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 keeps you in the lane it uh, it it breaks when there is uh, something in front of you and uh, you know you have to learn to to live with that because i think that if you if you learn to drive with her you know it becomes a 
nice experience and most definitely a more safe experience if you start if you start to react into it if you start saying you know i don't want this to get in my way then of course you can turn it off uh, but then you you lose the advantage of the of the safety and and to be honest it took very little to get used to it and to you know sometimes <laughs> you were you were easily trained oh, yeah probably i i guess that i i i like to change my behaviors i mean i i'd like to embrace these new things so after a while I realized that you know there were points where i would just expecting the car to break then you know i would break i was there ready to break if it wouldn't happen <laughs> Uh, but you kind of start, you know, working with it, and uh, and I think it's interesting. But of course, the challenge is in order to be able to work with it, you need to understand how it works, and and uh, you know, all these social media platforms are black boxes. We we have no idea, and they're we have no control. They're not designed for us to use. They're designed for advertisers to use. It's really interesting. Just just as you were describing, <clears throat> you being trained by your car it sort of gave me a bit of a chill because it, it, it is very brave new world isn't it it's it's we start to accommodate the system and risk losing something while we do that and it's so finely balanced isn't it between retaining autonomy and and decision making and just giving up and letting the system do it for you um, and it's bad enough when it's driving but it's much worse when it's your life well you know i think that again it's not about giving up control it's about sharing control and being able to leverage it's like okay i'm not even trying to remember phone numbers i have no idea what my phone number is it's ridiculous but i don't know what my phone number is because if I need it, it's there. And I have, you know, thousands of contacts in my phone and, you know, they're all there. I'm not trying to, you know, when somebody tries to give you directions, I, I, I don't even try to start memorizing them. No, I'm the Just same. giving me your postcode and shut up. And, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, and a computer will figure it out for me. Is this good? Are we just giving up control? I mean, maybe, but if a computer is better than me at uh, remembering numbers, finding places, or breaking in the case of an emergency, I'm fine with it. I mean, I think that my life is going to be better. But it, yeah, I'm not, not but, and um, what matters is sort of what we're left with, and we've talked about this before, about what is human beings' USP, you know, Um what makes us different and what will you know i've just i've just watched um the matrix again for the umpteenth time and uh just that whole thing about the tables being turned and us becoming subservient to the the technologies and that bit about what it means to be human and why that makes us different or better than machines um is is, is getting closer all the time isn't it we're all living in an emulation. You know this, right? Well, of course. What pisses me off about this emulation is that if this <laughs> is so good that I mean, look, I'm looking around me and I'm seeing this amazingly high resolution 3D environment, which is all artificial. And in front of me, I'm seeing 
the screen of a computer. How the hell there are bugs in this computer, in this simulated computer? I mean, it should be perfect, right? I mean, if we can have ah, this well, perfectly created reality, why, why this crazy dude who's running this huge simulation is putting bugs in my computer? Because he likes seeing that reaction in you, Paolo. He likes triggering you. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Talking about bugs and living in systems and stuff, I, I was talking to my daughter's boyfriend about playing Doom back in the day. And when they, they first made a networked version of Doom, and I was in a sort of early managerial post at the Beeb, and we had access to uh, the BBC network over a night shift, and we had little intercom systems that we needed for work. Basically, the combination of all of this, we ended up playing this fantastic lengthy game of Doom with the two of us taking on the game. And we were in different rooms, you know, and we were sort of shouting to each other through the telecom to, you take the guy on the left and I'll take the guy on the right, blah, blah, blah. Ended up being officially reprimanded in, in, on a headed BBC newspaper for, yeah, letterhead for uh, misuse of BBC technology. Um, but the reason I told all that story was, it turns out it was 27 years ago that Doom <laughs> came out. There's just been some anniversary port of it onto modern platforms in 27 years. Good grief. And on this note... Two old men who, who, who are now way past their bedtime. <laughs> I'm going to wish you all good night. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs>